time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy do you know how to sing? <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you sing? <laughs> Are you going to sing? I'll put you on the spot. I'm this is an audition. Of course. You have to sing with me, though. I, well, I think we're going to get in trouble with the copyright police because I've gone over 30 seconds now, but never mind. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Gratitude Unfiltered, everybody. We are in a new spot because I think where I normally broadcast would probably be inappropriate for a guest. Anyway, uh, blessed to be here today. You're watching Live Mono Ministries presents Gratitude Unfiltered, and I am excited to have my friend. I only call you friends, but actually you play my daughter in a movie. I do. <laughs> a very short movie, but nonetheless, you Hi, play Dad. my daughter. Yes. <laughs> now it's just getting creepy. <laughs> so you are watching Gratitude Unfiltered on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Thank you guys so much for being here, whether you're watching live on the replay, on the network, social media. Thank you for being here. Uh, we're gonna have some fun today. Yeah. So as you said, we met on set. Yeah, on a short and, film. Uh, in a short film, and you played my daughter. And you which, killed me. And I killed my daughter. <laughs> I killed my daughter Spoiler, in a movie. I guess. And uh, it very, you know, ironically, it felt very satisfying to kill you. Uh, why? I have no idea. <laughs> it just, you know, I, I think we've all, I, I remember hearing my, making my father so mad that he said he wanted to kill me a few times. And so maybe it just made me feel connected to him. I don't really know. Yeah, maybe. But nonetheless, it was nice to fake kill you as you were running away Great. with it, a shotgun. It really hurt when I fell. Like I scraped my hand pretty <laughs> bad. That is actually my favorite scene of the movie because you're running and there's this beautiful bridge yeah. in that house. And, and the, of course the fake gunshot. Yeah. And then you just dropped. And the way they filmed it with the golf cart moving backwards, that was so cool. <laughs> I felt like I was in a Steven Spielberg film. It was like... <laughs> I don't think he has to use golf carts. <laughs> I, think, I think Spielberg probably has like really fancy carts specifically for cameras, <laughs> not borrowing the neighbor's <laughs> freaking golf cart just so they can yeah, shoot right. a film. Anyway, so good to see you guys. So um, here's this is going to be a little bit different because one of the things that hi jessica lynn that's my wife she's in the other room oh. pretending that she's in the audience but she's in the other room um one of the things that i i like to do when i'm on set is i like to get to know people mm -hmm. it's it's one it's one of the best people watching things and it's a great way to network and get advice in the industry absolutely yeah and a lot of people and i've shared this before but a lot of people when they go on set what's up shafiq good to see you buddy um one of the things that happens when people go on set, especially whether they're extras or they have a smaller role, they think that that's where they're stuck. So a lot of times people on set just hang out on their phones, not understanding that they're around a lot of really amazing people. And not everybody's really amazing, but there are some amazing people. And most of the roles, that's right. <laughs> most of the roles that I've ever gotten until recently started off as being an extra and got an upgrade. So I've always made it a point to try to talk and get to know people yeah. because you never know where it can go. And then you develop friendships. And then through communication, I discovered that my friend here likes to interview people. Yeah. And I realized he had a show and he could help me out with my project. So, so. yeah. So one of the things that we're doing today, other than getting to know Abby, 
is we are going to, um, we're doing an interview, but she is going to be somebody that we're training with our Voices for the Voices program. And we're going to be setting her up with her own talk show, her own network, her own, all of that, um, preparing the graphics, the logos, the bios, all of that. But I'm really, really excited because one of the things that I like about Abby and that, that I think is super cool is that I challenged you with a bunch of work to do. And those of you that know me and you know when we first started our foundation and the, the, the network, I did a media training. And I gave away, I literally gave every step possible of what to do, of how to start your own show, how to get your own distribution, the product placement side of it. And I was amazed with the, for all the people that watched, one person followed through and created their own show. I gave you the same work that I've given everyone else. And you did it all. You didn't ask any questions. There's no promise of anything. And so I really, really admire that about you. So you're a great student. Yay. And it's full of promise. So that excites me. So let's rewind really quick. You're an actress. Yes. What made you want to become an actress? I think part of it when every everyone who's in the arts, I think some part of it is there is no I think. It's just you just know. It's just a feeling. But to be more specifically, I think it was a feeling. But when I was a child, I always felt to be called to be on the stage. I grew up dancing and I always liked to be in the center of attention. And I liked, I, I'll admit it, I love playing pretend. I love going to a place I'll never get to go, being a person I'll never get to be. Um, I'm always, I've always, I'm a very curious person. I was always the person to ask the most questions and I think acting is curiosity. So I think it just clicked and part of it was just, I just knew, I just knew. Oh, wow, there's a book, my friend Martin, um, Martin Lopez wrote a book called The Curiosity Theory. Yeah. And there's a workbook. It's amazing. And what drew me to him, and I didn't know him at the time when he was started to promote his book, but I read a book called The Power of Curiosity. Mm -hmm. And in reading it, I realized like this is how I live my life. This is also how I've gotten in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wait, they're telling me I shouldn't do that. So I think why? Like, why are they telling me I shouldn't do it? I better try yeah. at once to make my own opinion. Yeah. Well, you know, a drug addiction and sex addiction, <laughs> like, like that, that, that happening later was not the best idea, but it's also led me to get to do some of the coolest things. Like I never planned on being an actor, but it just kind of happened. And when I was given the opportunity to go on set, like, yeah, why not? I was curious about it. Yeah. Would you say that the power of curiosity leads you to? I think it definitely led me to you for sure. I mean, like, I know that wasn't exactly the question, but when I first you know when tim sent out all the actors and yeah. i was like who the hell is this guy well, he's got his own production company and i was like what the hell and i was like okay i need to talk to him i need to see what he's all about and then when you gave me all these things i was like i don't know where this is going to lead but i need to find out so that was what it was for you and i think yeah curiosity like you know when i'm on stage and i'm a different character i always kind of come up with another like story and i just i want to know i want to go somewhere else. You know, I love history and I love doing roles where I'm in a different time period because I'll never know what it's like to be. But in this particular moment, I get to be. That's really cool. Yeah. I haven't played a renaissance man yet. It's fun. It's been mostly serial killers and uh, <laughs> cult leaders. Well, hopefully you don't know what preachers. it's like to be that. <laughs> you know, I, I auditioned for, well, I did audition for this role as cult leader. Yeah. And they ended up taking me out of the cult leader and made me a pastor. 
And I was like, well, I've already done that. Kind of the That's same you. thing, Pastor Cult Leader. Well, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, yes. Evangelism and being a cult leader are very, very, very fine lines that you walk. And I'm not going to lie. And if any of you deny it, you're full of crap. Because it's true. You're borderline cult leaders. Um, you ca- Because we carry... I think to be able to persuade people, you have to, you carry some of those similar traits. The difference is one is using their gift for good. The other is using it to manipulate, to control, and to force you into doing whatever we want you to, we, like I just claim being a cult leader. Anyway, um, not so much. So the other thing too, that always curious, uh, that, that makes me curious, your generation, how old are you? I'm 19. You're 19. Yeah. Good Lord, I don't remember being 19, uh, which is probably for the best. But at 19, what is your, when you see everything that's happening in the world right now, from your eyes, through your lens, with a little bit less life experience than my old butt, what does the world look like through your eyes? Well, I grew up in the post 9-11 generation, and I grew up in a, in a school environment where I thought I was going to get shot all the time. Because school shootings were on the rise when I was in high school. Like there were in your high school or in your city, in your state, everything. or just on the news. Yeah, like on the news globally, or not globally, nationally, and then in Minnesota, obviously. And you know, I did speech in high school, so I was connected to all these different high schools and communities. And some of the people that I did speech with, like their schools and stuff. So, you know, and we had our own threat. So there was times in tenth grade where I was just walking down the hallway and I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna get shot because like so I think growing up in that, in my generation, is just kind of we've inherited all this corruptness, I guess. And trauma. Trauma. And so we realized quickly how much needs to be changed and we want to change that. And I think also because I have less experience, I'm more optimistic that there can be change because. Interesting. Because I, I, you know, you've lived through all this political crap, you've seen the heartbreak, you've had hope it's got taken away from you. I've only voted in one election. And I feel like I have optimism that it can change. I believe people are good. And I think that's part of naiveness of being 19. <laughs> um, I think people are at their core good. Maybe in 10 years, that'll it'll change my mind. But I mean, yeah, I look around and I'm like, God damn, like Minneapolis just alone is my community. and it's been horrible for past year. And then, you know, just everything we've inherited with racism that just doesn't want to go away, corruptness in the political system, climate change, all of that. And it just, I think having more news, like we think all this is new, but it's not, we just know about it more. Let me ask you this, all of these things that you just said, talking about racism, talking about climate change, are these things that changes you've seen for yourself or is this just what you're receiving from the news i think it's a bit of both like it's things that i see in the media and the news and then it's also things that i've heard from my friends my friends of color or something like that like it's not just oh i hear about it and i believe it it's when i see friends that i went to school with who are people of color who are like outraged and scared it's like okay well then you know i'm not gonna say oh it's just a bunch of bullshit like no this affects your everyday life and i'll never know what that's like what is what's your biggest fear you're you're a white clearly a white woman yeah um in america yeah what do you fear personally i feel failure but socially i mean there's always the fear of saying something wrong and offensive and not being educated enough um i mean being a woman 
walking down the street at night, like that's still a thing that I'm scared about with like, you know, if there's a car that pulls up next to me, I'm like, oh shit, is that gonna happen? And then it drives away and I'm like, oh, I didn't see that stop sign there, we're just stopping for that. And then I'm a bit short, I'm a bit small, so that's different, definitely a part of it. Um, yeah, she looks like she's my height. I'm Hold not, up. I'm uh, really not, <laughs> I'm 5'1". <laughs> yeah, she's in a booster seat, so <laughs> not a real booster seat. She's in a chair that elevates, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think but yeah, those are my fears, I would say, socially and personally. Okay, stupid question. Go ahead. But you know, I get some of my I don't believe anything I see in the news, but yeah. do wanna ask your generation, like how do you view dating? I think a lot of people I can't speak for my entire generation, but I know there's a big Speak for yourself. I know a lot of people don't believe in marriage anymore. I still do. But mm -hmm. um you know, I've had instances where people are like, oh, I'm dating for marriage. And I'm like, I don't think oh, you need a date for marriage the entire time. Like I'm 18, 19. And, you know, when I started dating when I was 17, I was like, hell no. Like, that's not like, I think you need to practice dating and then you can date for marriage. Like if I was dating for marriage when I was 17, I had no idea what I liked in a person. Nothing. I think you need to practice being in a relationship in the give and take. And then maybe when you're like, okay, now I'm looking to figure out to settle down, then yeah, you can start dating and get married. But that's not what I'm in right now. And I do think there's a difference between dating, like I'm in a relationship and we're hanging out and we're having fun, but I'm not in a committed relationship with mm -hmm. you. Um, so yeah. Now, do you, does your generation, do you still believe in the old fashioned way of courting or are you all about the apps and swiping left and all that stuff? A little bit of both, I think with the pandemic, um, the swiping definitely became more popular because you couldn't see people. So, but I think courting, like that old traditional, that's definitely sweet. Um, definitely not the idea of a man owns a woman, but if you want to be like, you know, gentleman about it, then that's cute. <laughs> do, you, do you know, like, do you truly know in your core that you can't fix a man? I think I can help him. <laughs> I, I can't fix them. I can't. No. I can't be their therapist. But if there's something that they're working on, I can be a help, a support. But I can't. I can encourage. But you, you can like that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. No, that's true. Yeah. And because that horse has got to be willing to drink. Yeah, I can show him the water. <laughs> I can be like, this is how you drink. This is some good water. But if you're not going to drink, I can't help you. I listen, I'm so stubborn and I I don't know what it was. I'm so thankful, but it took me three different marriages to figure this out. But my wife is smarter than me. Yeah. And um, I'm learning to listen. I yeah. do I still push back. Sometimes I say no. Sometimes I have to wait for like mm -hmm. five, you know, five days before I give in and go, okay, you're right. But I I've really, really learned that she doesn't try to fix me. But I do take her input and I trust her. But one of the things that I learned too, because I've every woman I've ever dated thought they could fix me, yeah. and all they did was left with PTSD. Yeah. And I'm not actually I'm I mean that seriously, even though I'm I mean I'm kind of being funny, but I'm also being serious because it's true. But trying to fix me made people crazy, and and I also I believe that a woman could fix me. My first marriage, I found out I had found out I had a three year old, mm -hmm. and I was like. Oh my God, I was still partying. I was going to South Beach every weekend. And of course that habit didn't change for a long time, but I was doing all of those things. 
And then I thought, oh crap, I don't know how to be a man. This woman, she carries herself well, she comes from a good family, so I think she can fix me. And that became a disaster. What I had to learn was that it wasn't, I, I, I had to become the man that I was created to be before I could ever get the woman yeah. that was meant for me. Yeah. And I had to be that man first. Yeah. But I was, I was just curious because for some reason, I don't know if it's in a woman's DNA or what, and I'm not knocking it. Yeah. It's just that a lot of women that I've noticed go into relationships thinking that they can fix somebody or they can save them. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that believe that only God can do that. Yeah. So, okay. What is, what would you say for you yeah. is the biggest pressing issue for you that you face as a woman, as a human being in, in, at your age? Uh, societal or personal? Any. Okay. Like the, the thing that is just the most, it's in your heart the most, like it either breaks your heart the most, it inspires you the most. Well, I kind of mentioned earlier, I have a feel of failure. And so I'm kind of, I'm always like, I mean, almost every day, I'm like, am I doing enough? Did I do enough to accomplish my goals? Am I, I have all these things I want to do, whether they're small, like a book I want to read or a project I want to do. It's like, did I do enough? Am I forgetting something? And I kind of have a scatterbrain sometimes. So I'm like, what did I forget? You know, am I doing everything I can? Am I making the right decisions? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so that's one thing, and I think that's part of being 19 and getting ready to go to college and knowing so little but knowing so much at the same time and being exposed to all these people on you know, Instagram and TikTok and such, like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and, da -da 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 -da, and trying to find them as inspiration instead of my competition and being jealous. And I always have to think about, okay, well, what are they lying about? You know, mm -hmm. What resources do they have that I don't have? Oh, that's a good one. Um, like some of these girls in LA doing everything I'd ever dreamed of. Like, okay, well, did they grow up in LA? I grew up in basically the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Um, so it's like things like that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What inspires you? The belief in myself. Um, is what makes you believe in yourself? Well, um, kind of have to I there's things I want to do in my life and I know there's all these quotes about you can do it and I'm like why not believe that I can do it you know why not believe that I can and then when I believe that I can I'm like oh why did I doubt myself like I if I keep working at it it's gonna happen or at least I'll find somewhere where I'm happy and you know I've only been in three student films but for a while that seemed impossible for me and I found these contacts that are helping me do things and then I, I there's people I look up to um, and I'm a little religious and I believe that there is a plan for me. Um, yeah, God, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. No, that's all I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. God for every one of us, every one of us, like we, he's a manufacturer of our lives. Yeah. So do you get, let me ask you this. Do you get dreams and visions? Like do you see yourself like years from now doing certain things. Yeah. Okay. So that's God. Oh, yay. That's God. <laughs> that's God showing you what's possible. Yeah. And the and the fastest way to get there, because mm -hmm. I ran from that. Yeah. I didn't believe that was possible. I thought I was hallucinating, thought I was crazy. Like, I'm so glad that you answered yes, because if not, then my story was going to go nowhere. Mm -hmm. But I thought I was insane. I thought there's no way I can do that. The entire time, like I ran from what God, and what I, my experience from running from that is also, that means I was running from God. 
at the same time. And in running from God, I lost more and more and more of my identity and who I was. But when I started running towards that vision, I got to know God on a whole new level and it completely changed my life. It was accepting that that purpose, that call on my life was what I was created, what I was manufactured to do. And so, and the cool thing is with the manufacturer, it's kind of like an owner's manual in your car. When something goes wrong, you can go to the owner's manual or you go to the mechanic that's certified that knows the car and you can check in, you can get the adjustment, you can check in and go, okay, is this, is this right path? Is this the right relationship for me? Is this the right path? And you get those answers from your manufacturer. But when you go to your friends and you go to everyone else, you go to social media and you go, oh, this is what's happening, I don't know what to do. What happens? You get a bunch of opinions. You might as well go to CNN for your, for, for your advice because all you're gonna get is just a bunch of 15 people on a pulpit talking to you, telling you what they think you should do. But the answers are inside of you because that's how God designed it. So you pursue what you see, it will come to be, especially if you're obedient to the call. Have you, let me ask you another question. Have you ever felt like, okay, you're, you were faced with a choice that you had to make and you were about to make one decision. It was like, a, it was like an A or B decision. Like you could go this path or that path. And you started to go down that path, but you felt something in your chest or your stomach that said, uh-uh, no. <sighs> That's a good question. Um, definitely, I'm just trying to. You, you don't have to give it an example. I definitely think there have been times. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> That's your guidance system. So. And the way to really understand that and hear that more and be obedient to that call or being obedient to what that's prompting you to do, you hear it more clearly and you feel it more physically, the less distractions you have and the less toxic crap you have in your life. So the more cleansing, the cleansed you are of that, the more you hear it. And the more you're able to take those steps in faith because the fear that you have is a lie. It's not real. That fear is there for you to push through. And every time you do it, you grow bigger and you get bigger than that fear. Now, the funny thing about life is then you get something else to fear, <laughs> but it's all about growing. So you have that for yourself. You kind of are a cult leader. You're a little pastor moment. <laughs> I'm not a cult leader. I'm, I'm an evangelist of anything. Um, I'm a cult leader. My I forgot what friend it was. If my friend's watching right now and you're the one that said to me, you're going to be the world's greatest cult leader, let me know. <laughs> hey, what's up, Ed Merrow? Good to see you. Hello, Elizabeth, darling. Good to see you. Liana, good to see you. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, if I say the word legacy, what does it mean to you? I think it's, you know, the, the, the footprint you leave behind, the way that you change people when you're gone, whether that's at high school, which I don't really care about, but <laughs> on your on your community, the people that you love, whether it's when you're dead or something like that, just the legacy that you, the lessons that you taught. Okay. What about death? It doesn't scare me. Why? I mean, part of it is 
it's going to happen. And I, it's true. I tell my friends, like, we kind of joke, like, how would you like to die? And I said, you know, I want to go out in a epic way, but not in a way that overshadows my life. Wow. That is deep. Yeah. Say that one more time. That's really good. I want to go out in an epic way, but not in a way that overshadows my life. Like Kurt Cobain. Yeah, like when you think about me, you don't think of the epic way I died. But it's like, oh, it was like a heroic way or something like that. But like I like I work a lot with elderly people and I've worked a lot with people who are in their mid nineties, early one hundreds. And so for me when I see someone that dies in the seventies and eighties, I was like, Oh, they're so young. They've got so much to live for. So I don't want to die in my seventies and my eighties. I wanna live my nineties or hundreds or go out in a big way. And I think other way that I'm not as scared of death is, I mean, part of it is mental illness. I mean, when you've had those dark days and stuff like that, it's not always the scariest thing. I think if I go peacefully, <laughs> it's not the biggest thing. And then I get to be at rest. And like I've said, I'm religious. So I believe there's something at the other end. I get to see my friends and family that are gone. And I even get to see God, which would be kind of cool. Um, uh, I'm pretty certain I'm not going to hell. I mean, I can't be 100% sure, but I don't think I am. So There's a way to be sure of that. There is. <laughs> yeah, that's what Jesus is all about. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not too scared of death. Like there have been moments where I was like, Oh, I don't like not like close death experience, but there was like kind of scary. But I was like, I mean, if I die, I die. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to suffer. That would be the worst way. Yeah. What um so okay so now we've we've one of the things that you know part of the reason why we've been connecting more is that you're getting ready to start your own talk show. Where do you think your passion? Because the thing that stuck out to me, and I when I brought this up to you, um that I, you know, I can help you do this, but it started with, I love, I love acting and I love interviewing people. Mm -hmm. That's what you said to me. Yeah. Like, what are you passionate about? You said those two things. Yeah. What is it? And I think I already know the answer, but I want you to tell the audience. Yeah. What is it about interviewing people that you like so much? Well, I mean, as we were talking about earlier, like I'm a very curious person and I love getting people's stories and things like that. And I think as an actor, you're a storyteller. So it's the way I see it is you can't be a writer if you don't read. So when I get someone's story, like I'm going to interview you at some point, like you've lived a life that I'm never going to live. I'm, I'll never know it. <laughs> I wouldn't want anyone to do that. Well, although it's exciting now, it was yeah. pretty painful. <laughs> so if I'm going to play a character like you, Ooh. I need to know something. I need to know what it's like to be in those shoes. And then that's a little selfish part of me, but, and then for the other person, I just like, hearing it. I just like hearing what you have to say. And I think people want to be listened and be validated to validated. And a really big thing, not to get too political, but I think a huge, not the entire problem with the United States, but one problem that I think would fix a lot. We don't listen anymore. Oh, so good. Yes. We don't listen. So, I mean, I will get a little political on my show, but it's not going to be like, if you think this, you're racist. If you think that you're sexist, but I want to get um, I don't know who yet, but I want to get some people from this idea and some people from that idea and be like, find a common ground. I did that in high school. I had my own club that did that. And it, I think, you know, it's kind of rewarding. It's like you have more in common than you think. Yes. So, yeah. I like that. In the listening part, you're right. I think that a lot of the anger that people have pent up is they're not being heard and they know it. Because everyone wants to get their opinion out because social media has developed this habit for us. Where, hi babe. Hi. 
<laughs> you want to come say hi? <laughs> but social media has developed this habit where it's just an echo chamber of opinions. But no one's really listening. No. In fact, most of the posts that people like and make comments on, like love this, they're not reading your post. They're just giving you a courtesy comment because they want a courtesy comment back. Because, you know, we're all narcissists now. Whether you want to admit it or not, we've all become narcissists. But yet we all want to point at everybody else as being the narcissist. We all are narcissists. I would always be ready for an interview. I want the world to meet King. Oh, how is your son doing, man? I'll interview you. Okay, Ed. So another thing. If any of you want to be on Abby's new show and you have an interesting story you want to share, yes. you can just message me and I'll put you in contact. Because um, this is part of the training, by the way. <laughs> so I, um, let's see, I would always, yeah. I want to die in an epic way, but not in a way that over, overshadows my life. That may, that's going to be on your tombstone. Woo! <laughs> because, because Dea put that in writing. So now. Thanks, Dea. <laughs> yeah, now, now you got to do that. Okay. Comment suggestions on how I should die. No, 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 no. We don't want to put that out there. It's when it's time. Like, I break and bind any curse spoken against you now in the name of Jesus. Okay. When I say the word love to you, mm. what's the first thing that comes to mind and then the second? Love. Human connection. Ooh. And then I think human being. I think. What's the difference? Well, I think everybody's not everybody, but we're all human beings, and I think we should relate to that more—that we are humans. And I think they, um, human connection, like love, can be romantic. It can be platonic, and it can just be like, "I love you." Like, yeah. we have our souls are connected. That's <laughs> so cheesy, but whether it's <laughs> like, um, I think. I don't, I've, I've never experienced romantic love, I'll be honest. Oh, that's awesome, John. What did you say? John does a great, he's a he's an amazing host. Yay! This is cool, man. I'll, I'll connect you guys, John. Thank you so much. Hold on, I want to do one other thing. That right there is just an epic quote. I'm That is like been my best takeaway the whole time so far. Okay, continue about love. I haven't felt love in a romantic way yet. I mean, I've been with people that I really like, but I haven't loved. Um, but you know, I, I feel love for my friends and I feel love for my dog and I feel love for animals and in a sense, the world. Um, I, one goal I have for myself is to just be more loving to, to give radiate more love. I think everyone deserves to be loved. Um, so yeah. That's a that's a hard thing for some people to accept is that they're worthy of love. Yeah. I mean, and there's, and there's layers to it. It's not as simple as just saying, well, I'm worthy of love. And I now like, for me, it took me like, after I gave my life to Christ, mm -hmm. I had this period that I was still really, really struggling after the emotional high wore off. I had this period where I, I didn't, I, I know I didn't love myself, mm -hmm. but I also didn't really believe that God loved me the way that he really did. So therefore, I think it was impossible for me to ever really learn to love myself. But even after learning to love myself and make more loving decisions for myself, then I struggled with receiving love. Yeah. 
And I don't know what that was all about. Like I, and like, I'm so grateful for my wife, Jessica, um, who's back there, I think somewhere. Um, I'm grateful for her because she's taught me how to receive love and it's not easy to do. And I think children also do an amazing job at teaching you how to receive love because what's more offensive to a child than rejecting their love because they come out of the womb so innocent that the only know to do is to give love. But how many of us reject that? Were you rejected? I, I, of course, I don't want to know if I'm putting you under no. in trouble here, but as a child, did you feel that you received all the love that you needed? I hope my parents aren't watching this. <laughs> no one's watching this. <laughs> um, you know, my childhood was kind of hard. I, it's not that my parents didn't love me. I knew they loved me and they did their best. They were just very busy. And I mean, I don't blame them, you know. We live in a capitalist society. You got to work and you got to get your education and none of those things are easy or mm-hmm. cheap. Um, and my mom was a teacher and she was getting her master's when I was a little kid and my dad was going back to school. And so I was kind of alone a lot. And it's not that I didn't think my parents loved me, but sometimes it felt like that. I mean, now when I'm older, I'm like, they were just doing the best that they could. And I yeah. think my mom and I, you know, I've had this conversation with my mom. I was like, you didn't play with me as a kid. She's like, no, I didn't. I really did. And I I thought it was weird that parents would spend time and play with their kids. Like when I saw it in the commercials, I was like, that's bullshit. But, <laughs> um, that's well, bullshit. Some, in some cases it is, but yeah. And um, I saw all these things like, you know, other kids at school, like their parents were like picking up from school, get them a nice snack, da, 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 da. And I was like, I don't, you know, my mom teaches at my school. I do homework in her room. And then I go to dance or I do this. Like she doesn't pick me up, go over my, like my parents don't do that. My parents are always busy. Da, 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 and have their own struggles and we didn't have a lot of money to go do stuff mm-hmm. so it's like you know now that i'm older i they're still incredibly busy but i think i don't know what it is but we just spend more time maybe they realized or i just been better at advocating for myself mm-hmm. um so i well i can sympathize with that because i was a deadbeat father for so long i mean i i was a deadbeat to because I chose drugs and sex over my twins and, you know, my oldest daughter, who I didn't know about until she was three, you know, I was chasing my addiction. So I valued that or I felt like I needed that more. And I was always too busy to be a parent. And, you know, when I turned my life around and as I started to heal more and I started to learn to love, my heart's desire became to have a family again. And I always swore that I would do it different but I didn't know what that looked like. But I'm grateful because again, I keep bringing up Jessica, but she has taught me so much is that, you know what? It's okay to put down work. It'll be waiting for you to go hang out with kids, like your kids, because that time and what I'm now learning, it kind of makes me sad to think actually, because if I would have known what I know now, like I could have valued that time so much more and really found the joy in being a father because yeah. being a father's fun. I didn't know that. I thought it was like, ah, you're, you're, you're in my way. You're keeping me from doing the things that I want to do. And that's how I looked at it. Or I need to work and I need to make money to be able to buy all this stuff. What I've learned, even though they like things bought for them, all they really want is time and attention. And that's better than money. And having learned that, I've, 
like it's it's just amazing what I've learned from that alone, but also the joy. I used to go like, okay, how how drunk can I get? How high can I get? How many nights can I party in a row? Like that was my thing. Now I wouldn't trade any of that for being a father. And I'm not saying that to say, look at me. I'm not. But it's just amazing how my thoughts around it change so much. Uh, hey, good to see you, Ed. Thanks for stopping by. And I will absolutely um, let her know about Dom for sure. So good to see you, man. All right. So you want to ask me any questions, interviewer? Oh, um, I wrote down some for the other one. So I'm trying to remember the questions, but I definitely have some for you. What's on your heart to ask? No holds barred. Ask anything you want. Okay. I'd say if you had a time machine or something and you were meant to tell you, you could tell yourself, I don't know what age you were, but when it like was really, really dark, like I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about, what would you tell yourself? Any advice or get, get your shit together or you're doing great, sweetie, whatever it is. No. Um, Two things, actually. That's a really good question. Because while I wouldn't change any anything because of the life that I get to live now, yeah, I would go back and say what you're seeing is real. You're not crazy. Okay. Because me thinking that I was crazy created so much self-doubt that I did everything everybody else wanted of me, but not what I knew was for me. And that I guess that's, you know, God bless that question. Like kind of kicked my butt um, because I know now for certain that those, those dreams are important because it's like, that's your destiny. And our destiny is good. And so many people out there, including myself for years, did not believe that that was real. Yeah. And so therefore you make every other decision that's not for you. And then I led this life of destruction and evil and everything else. And that all started from running for my purpose. The other thing I would say is that I would have not held the secrets of the my father abusing me and I would not have held the secrets of being molested. I would have, I would have talked about it because I would have known that I could have been protected. I, I could have gotten the help that I, that I needed because sexual trauma, physical trauma is a real thing and it really affects you. Um, and, uh, and so if I, if I would have spoke, I mean, part of why, we created Voices for the Voiceless, our youth program, is to give the youth an outlet to speak and to feel safe to speak their truth. And it wasn't, it, what, speaking your truth can come from art, through a talk show, through, through a, an invention, whatever, but it can, that can be an expression. So having that safe outlet to create in that environment to feel safe, and then when you feel safe, you'll speak truth, and truth is the most healing thing on the planet. There's nothing closer. So I would have not learned to keep secrets and not learned to lie. So those two things. What's the crazy, craziest conspiracy theory you believe? Or that you have, maybe you came up with it on your own or you read it somewhere and you believe it. 
Well, I don't, I, yeah, it, it sounds crazy, but, um, like I believe in, like I, this, there's a transhumanistic agenda and there's an agenda to merge us with technology and, and there's an agenda to separate us from everything that God created us to be. And so you believe technology is the antichrist? Yeah. AI is the antichrist. Okay. It, ultimately that's what everyone will conform that that's what part of there's an underlying mission that we have, and that is creating the last line of defense against AI. Because what AI is and what it will be and what it will become for people is God, or little g God. So like, do you see this computer as the Antichrist? Well, the uh, so the actual eye in the sky would be what I would closer say to okay. that. But these are like electronics and computers and, and all of that is like, it's like the offspring okay. of it, okay. especially when everything becomes connected. Okay. And in that, and I really, really believe that AI ultimately will be the antichrist, the way that people discuss it. Um, you know, because it, it, it ties into, so AI will be attached to the blockchain and the blockchain in the cloud that everything's connected to. So 5G internet, it's called the internet of everything meaning everything's connected. So our phones, our wallets, our refrigerators, our TVs, people all connected. And, and so to do that, what that does is it allows for a one world currency because you can't have a one world, one world currency without having everything connected because there's no way to monitor it without it being connected. You need global surveillance. You can't have that without 5G. So, and then a one world government you can't have until you have one world, or I'm sorry, you can't have a one world government until everything's connected because how else do you monitor everybody? So ultimately AI would be the antichrist, but there's been lots of antichrists, but the ultimate one, the one that we get to fear, the one that's going to cause everybody the most problems is AI. And that's why there's going to be a massive push for people to merge more with technology than they already have. If you look at Neuralink, you look at, um, there's a new technology that came out right now. It's $20,000 to get it, but there's a new helmet mm -hmm. that's about to be released next month. It um, starts at 20,000, but there's a $50,000 one too. But this helmet allows you to read people's thoughts. Oh God. So we're closer. That technology is available. Like Facebook has that technology. And so with that, there's going to be a need and the fear of, oh my God, the robots are taking our jobs. What are we going to do? So then people are going to line up to merge with the technology. I actually think part of the vaccine, if you look at the video of the magnets, I think that's a good indication that that's a good starting place of morphing with technology. So the way I imagine what you're talking about, have you, okay, maybe you haven't seen this movie, but have you seen Avengers Age of Ultron? No, but I heard there's some elements of what I'm talking about. Okay, there. well, so, there's like this, I mean, maybe you can watch it, but there's like this kind of what you're talking about. This like, he's kind of like, he's like shaped like a guy, but he's like made of metal and he's like super smart. He knows basically everything. He can see everyone's history and he's like, humanity is doomed and I'm going to save it by like killing a bunch of people or whatever, stuff like that. Like I am God or whatever like that. That's kind of what I'm imagining you talking about. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I do. I, I think that. You know, one of the scariest things is, I mean, when when 
to me, what spells doom for us and that it'll show that people will rush to merge with technology is, and this may not make sense on the surface, but just think about it for a little bit. The fact that people are apologizing for being the color they are, is, to me, is the first step of denying God. Because that's, you were created the way you were created. You should never apologize for your race. I don't care what color you are. You shouldn't apologize for it. So that in itself, in, in saying this, this is, I'm sorry, I'm white. That's denying God to me. And that is the first step towards going with the world. And that's going straight to hell. Because it, the evidence is everywhere. Do we need 85 genders? Do we need 95 sexualities? We don't. We don't need any of this stuff. We don't really even need to People are identifying and claiming the identity of something that's not real. Meaning, your sexuality is not real. It's, 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 it's a thing, yes, but it shouldn't be your identity. Your identity is you, your purpose, why you're here, how you serve, how you make the world, how you help humanity. That's your identity. How you were created is your identity. Your gender and your, your sexuality is nothing, is not even close to your identity. But taking that label, again, is putting yourself in another box, separating you from truth. And that is a dangerous thing. And we are very, very, very separated from truth right now because we have disinformation at every possible level. Like news, social media, all of it. It's just opinions and that opinions that we are taking as news, opinions that we're taking as fact, and we're allowing that to shape our belief system. Therefore, it's adjusting the way that we think, it's adjusting the way we believe, and that is a dangerous, dangerous trap because we're losing what's real, we're losing our identity, and it's causing a lot of us to live in fear. Because to me, the greatest fear I have is losing sight of who I am and what God created me to be. Because I know what that life is like, and it was awful for me. And more and more people are getting there. So how do you suggest we change it? What do you suggest we do about it? So what if I told you the devil doesn't need to break your legs to win? All he has to do is distract you. Yeah. So clear the distractions. How do you think we fix the world if we're so separated from truth and separated from God? Or do you think it's a personal thing that you have to change? Well, it is a personal relationship with God. Mm -hmm. It is not, I mean, I share my faith openly. Yeah. I don't hide from it, but I'm not trying to push it on you either. Yeah. Like I tried everything else. I tried to, I tried Buddha and I tried universal God. I tried all of these different things. I don't, ever, I don't think I ever tried to be a Muslim, but um, you know, I, I looked at all of these different religions and, and, and none of it was real for me, but it's still like what changed me was Jesus, like crying out to Jesus. And, and that, that's what changed everything. And me just saying, I didn't do any weird salvation prayer. I just said, my life is no longer my own. I know what you called me to do. I surrender. I'm done trying to control everything. And I'm going to trust you because you created me. You put these visions and thoughts in my head and that I know are real. And because you put them there, I'm now going to trust you because doing it my way got real ugly. So 
while it's a personal relationship, I think the very first step is simply start removing distractions. Like whatever it may be, maybe it's TV. What's up, Dr. Avro? Good to see you, man. Maybe it's removing the TV, right? Maybe it's the music we listen to. Maybe it's a relationship. Like what's serving you? What's not? Because sometimes it's impossible to hear God because we have, we're stuck in a bad relationship. We hate our brother. Our job sucks. We're not doing what we love to do. And you, you, all that does is it's just dropping more weight on you. And when you feel that weight on you, you, how could you think? So it's easy. You start with removing one thing at a time that doesn't belong there. And eventually God's voice becomes more clear because when it's noisy up here, you can't get in your heart and you can't think clearly. Very interesting. <laughs> That's a lot to digest. <laughs> I'm a pretty wise guy, actually. Yeah. Because I know what hell looks like. Yeah. And I know what, but I, but I know the other side too. Yeah. Do you have any other questions for me? No. You know everything you want to know? <laughs> no, that's going to be a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfortunately for you, you're not going anywhere. For, well, that sounded like I'm kidnapping. I'm not kidnapping anybody. Mm -hmm. No, but we're, you know, we're going to be working together and, um, you know, and this is, I'm sure that there'll be plenty of other opportunities to ask you questions. Cool. Anything more for me? Not off the top of my head. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for being here. God bless you all. And uh, Abby Wagner. Hi. Her Bye. show will be coming soon, and uh, she'll be here on this network. So see you guys soon. Thank you. Wow.